Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode where I get to speak to incredible leaders from around the world and uh, today's guest is no less. She literally has been around the world. Uh, Andrea and I only met this morning on LinkedIn and I went to have a quick look at her profile and she blew me away. She's like, comes from Lancashire and over the last 30 years has literally lived in all sorts of countries, done all sorts of incredible things. Um, I'm so excited to have Andrea with us. Andrea, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Carl. Listen, my burning question is, uh, how on earth have you ended up being living in so many different countries uh, over that last 30 years of your life. And now I understand you're living in India, um, somewhere in India. So you're going to have to tell me your story. Okay, so that could take the whole 30 minutes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm in India, right? I'm in the Delhi NCR region. I'm in Gurgaon, which is a kind of conurbation. Uh, never, ever thought I would be living in India. So um, I just brief chronology of um, how I got here. So, look, yeah, you said I, I grew up in the north of England and I always wanted to live and work abroad. And um, it was only recently I was questioning my motivation for that because I always thought I want to explore the world, I want to get out. And, uh, and I was doing some leadership work and one of the questions is, you know, about your programmed identity. What, what are the messages you got when you were younger? Um, and one of them was, the world's your oyster. So my father always used to say that to us as children. And I, I just had a click a couple of years ago thinking, oh, maybe I took that literally. Maybe that was a program message and it wasn't even my idea that I want to live around the world. But anyway, uh, you know, that's what reflection can do for you, I suppose. But, um, yeah, just going back to growing up, I always thought, gosh, the world's so big. Why, why stay where you were born? You know, with my limited knowledge, uh, I studied languages. I thought, oh, that's a good way to be able to go and live and work abroad. And I think my horizon was as far as Europe, you know. Studied French and German, did a degree, then did a management degree and thought, oh, because that's going to be more useful, right? Um, and, and just actually backtracking, before I went to university, I, I thought, I've got to cut the umbilical cord because I was such a homebody. I've got to do something that's really going to toughen me up. So I went to live in uh, Germany for a year. I was no pair for a year, uh, which did toughen me up and taught me to be quite independent. Um, like I said, I was at university, did a management de uh, degree. And then uh, I thought, let me join a telecoms company <laughs> because I was always interested in communication. I thought it would be environmentally friendly. So this is back in 1990, Carl. Um, yeah before mobile phones. 
um, and did that. And, and I did go to work in Germany, and then there was an opportunity to work in Japan. And I thought, oh, why not? <laughs> Sounds interesting. Maybe I can uh, learn Japanese and, and go and work in Japan. So did that for a few years, four years. And then our biggest operation, so I was working with cable and wireless, was in Hong Kong. So I thought, makes sense to work in Hong Kong. Um, so I was there for four years, working around the region, right? So exposure to Singapore, Malaysia, Vietnam, uh, as well as Japan. And um, yeah, and then I finally thought, like about 2000, I should really get some experience of living and working in the UK. <laughs> so I went back. And I actually met my husband, and he said, I want to start a company in India with a friend. <laughs> <laughs> so with, you've gone all the way back to the UK, thinking that you're going to stabilize your life back in the UK, and you meet someone who's going to drag you back out. Well, drag is my, I don't think you would have gone without me, or maybe you would, who knows. Because um, <laughs> we weren't actually married at that time. Uh, and I thought it should be interesting. A few years in India, never worked in a, in a rapidly growing uh, country. So let me go and see what that's all about. And plus, at that time, telecom was taking off, right? So I thought, oh, it should be mm -hmm. a great opportunity. Um, so I left my job, came to India with nothing. <laughs> and anyone who knows uh, Kurgan will know it was literally uh, fields and a few big buildings, that was it. And finally got a job with the Bharti Group, which is a big uh, conglomerate. They have, they, they own Airtel. Uh, and headed marketing for one of their companies for several years. Anyway, so, and, and since then I've been in India. <laughs> so... Uh, and how long ago was that? So that was 2003. Uh, so 20 years this year. <laughs> that is incredible. Incredible. So listen, You've, you've now experienced such this richness, richness of culture in all of these incredible countries that you've lived in and 20 years now in India. What were the biggest lessons for you in, in enmeshing yourself into these new cultures and connecting with people? Because at the end of the day, you know, fundamental of emotional intelligence and leadership is this ability to build relationships. So what were the challenges that you, you experienced and how did you overcome those challenges to be where you are right now? So if I go back to Germany, and it doesn't seem such a tricky cultural difference, right? You'd think Germany, very Anglo-Saxon. But I suppose that was a big eye-opener for me because even though I thought there's a lot of similarities, I realized there's actually quite a lot of differences. It took a lot of time, right? It took a lot of time to make friends. I remember I had a friend, thank goodness, uh, an older uh, woman she was i was 18 she was about 23 and she was from newcastle so that in itself was a big cultural difference for me i couldn't understand some of, of the course. things she was saying uh, it took time we'd go out we'd um you know talk to you know sometimes we met people in the street we chat with them um and made friends slowly so by the end of the year we had some good friends and obviously then i had to leave um but we used to go to the local disco <laughs> Um, again, cultural difference. We would be trudging through the snow in, in our moon boots and everyone else would be turning up in their Porsches and, you know, <laughs> Volkswagens and Mercedes cars. Um, so, yeah, lots of uh, really interesting things. So, you know, some of the things that still stay with me and 
this is back in 1984, was um, environmental awareness in Germany. You know, separate rubbish containers. And to us, it seemed really strange. And then, oh, actually, that makes real sense, right? Or going to the, we have the ice cream van. They had the milkman van. So the milk person would rack up and you'd go out with your empty containers and, and take the yeah. milk. From. So just, um, you know, lots of... Um, Lots of differences, like the shops closing at 12 o'clock on a Saturday. I don't know if that still happens. We've not been there for ages. I guess some of the bigger differences that you will have experienced is that whole concept of East and West. So, you know, when you move to Japan, for example, and of course now to India, some of the differences would have been quite stark. How have you established yourself in these countries uh, and built those relationships uh, despite the differences in cultures that you might have had? Yeah, so it's a really good point. So both times before I moved to Japan, I was working in Germany. Um, you know, Germany typically very direct, um, <laughs> to the point, <laughs> say what you mean. Um, going to Japan, the complete opposite. And, and also for me, Japan was um, so strange in a way that it's, it's culturally very reserved and polite um, and, and talking, you know, indirectly, I don't know if we say talking in the air, you know, to listen yeah. for, for what's actually being said. But then in landing in Tokyo and being just massively overwhelmed by neon lights flashing and the number of people um, and, you know, being shoved into the train, right? Just being actually pushed into the trains was physically physically, physically pushed, pushed into, into the trains yes yeah Incredible. yeah so yeah, it's emotional intelligence right carl because mm. i've seen people who work in foreign cultures many many years but they're missing the cues um that if you're listening and you're observing you would see i've got to be quiet now i've got you know i can't say anything now this is a time to 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 just be silent. This, you can feel it in the air, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is the th we're talking about the third quadrant of emotional intelligence here. This ability to, I always call it the the radar. You know, the social awareness, being the, able to read the environment, read the room. Uh, and some people just have that. They don't need to go anywhere. They don't need to be trained in anything. Some people just know. Oh, I can tell. I can sense that this is what I need to do in this situation. Um, so yeah. And also, you know, there's hierarchies in, in Germany. Obviously, we respect hierarchies in Germany. There's hierarchies in Japan. But you can build relationships outside the hierarchies in Germany, not so easily in Japan, right? So that, so that was quite interesting. And on top of that, the layer of an organization, so the, the dynamics of, you know, the, the headquarter of the organization I was working for was British. So British company mm -hmm. in Japan you'd expect people working in that organization would be open to a British kind of style. And they were in the organization I was in, but there was lots of investments. And I remember being told by a senior leader, so I had a boss in, in my organization, said, oh, just reach out to him. He's, a, he's our director in that organization. He'll help you. <laughs> And I was saying to my boss, well, no, he can't because there's a hierarchy. I've got to respect that hierarchy. He'll obviously respond to you because you're the boss, but I'm really junior. 
He said, no, you, no, do it, he will. He will. And I, I knew he wouldn't, and he, he kind of took me aside and he said, Andrea, you can't reach out to me directly because that's not the way things work and you should know that. So I was kind of caught between the two cultures. And what about your experience in India? I mean, this is the country that you've lived in for the longest and I guess what you're doing in India is working with organisations around leadership, culture and emotional intelligence. That's a very hard one because it depends on the organisation, right? So okay. you have multinational, I work with multinationals, I work with, there's this term and you'll know it, right? Promoter-led organisations. So where the family owns the organisation, um, and there's a very strong culture in those organizations too. I work with startups. Um, so let, let me just tell you one interesting, to me interesting, right? So this is what I like to observe. So if you've got a, an organization, what's the culture? What drives the culture? So if it's a promoter-led organization, it's obviously the promoter drives the, the culture. Mm -hmm. um, you have multinational organizations coming into India. Often they have very strong values, very... Uh, strong processes. Uh, and I work with some of the large um, software and e-commerce organizations. So I have really, really strong practices to ensure that the culture is imbibed across the world. Now, even though right. that happens, still in India, there's that kind of, I can't really reach out to the senior vice president. You know, I'm only a vice president. I can't call them in the middle of the night, even though there's a network issue. So there's still that kind of national culture that's pervasive, even though there's an organizational culture that is super strong. It takes a lot of effort for people to let go of that national culture. And it's interesting you talk about emotional intelligence. So I know you're talking about Daniel Goleman's model, uh, and we both know six seconds model. So... One of the things, I'm doing some research on EQ in India at the moment, because what I'm fascinated about in India is this ability to really think through and weigh up the pros and cons of any decision, right? So in this situation, I know what to do. So thoughts, that's through. But that, and the, based on the last research, India's the highest in the world at being able to think through consequentially what's going to happen if I do this, make the decision, but the lowest in the world at like navigating the emotions that come with that. So I'm going to, the boss might be angry if I suggest this. Uh, my family member might not approve of me doing this. Uh, and so that struggle is really, really hard. And it's very hard to, for, according to the research, and, and we see it, right? We see it, work my way through those emotions so I still show up and I'm constructive in how I show up. Um, and I don't, I don't with, you know, hold back from taking that decision that I know is the right thing to do. What's the, what's the level of appreciation of um, emotional intelligence uh, within India? And I, I, I get that you work with different levels of organisations uh, and I'm guessing that, you know, the multinationals probably have a greater appreciation around emotional intelligence because they have this, um, they will have this 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 understanding that we're working cross cultural platforms, and therefore the human beings need to be connected in some way. And EQ it would be one avenue to do that, wouldn't it? But what about some of the 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 more localized, the promoter led organisations, for example, or the startups that you work with? Do they have an appreciation of emotional intelligence? Look, uh, I I can't broad brush this because. 
There's some mm. brilliant practices, and, and it really depends on the organization. So I wouldn't want a broad brush. Okay. But I do see um, a great interest, and I think it is something that many organizations are now embracing precisely because um, of the importance of connection and recognizing that, as we say, like, emotions drive people, people drive performance. So how are we connecting with yeah. people? How are we motivating people? And whether they use the term emotional intelligence or not, and a lot of organizations do, um, I believe and I see that the, I don't want to say the professionalization, but there's a great, great awareness of this. And I think, you know, at um, a cultural level, there's a lot about connection in Indian culture, right? There's a lot about hospitality yeah. and warmth and, and helping uh, people. You know, I talk to a lot of leaders and their goal is often, oh yeah, well, when I leave the corporate world, I'm going to go back to my hometown and I'm going to set up the school and I'm going to do this and I'm going to give back. So there's, yeah. there's, uh, there's a lot of focus there. Like anywhere, could there be more? Of course. <laughs> so I think the other, again, this is six seconds research, Carl, is uh, the other area, and, it's, and it sometimes upsets people when I say, like, India scored quite lowly on empathy. Why is that? Because mm -hmm. we all experience warmth and friendliness. And I think sometimes it's to do with, like, this is my tribe, and this, this is the sphere that I can focus on. I'm going to be super empathetic there, and I'm going to understand people and connect with people. You know, is it my work colleagues, my family, friend group? But beyond that, maybe people don't feel they've got the bandwidth, right? So, I, you know, I, I cut off at a certain stage. Um, so, so that's the kind of response I get when I ask, well, what's that about? Because I see Indians always being super uh, warm and welcoming. So what's going on? I find that fascinating. And of course, you know, hospitality and that warmth that you talk about is, is, is central to the Indian culture, the Indian character. Uh, but I wonder if the whole concept of empathy is all, also as a result of that deep ingrained connection to a cultural way of, being a cultural way of thinking, um, there is some sense of, because there's a huge entrepreneurial spirit within India, within Indian communities, it's like get up and go, you have to keep going forward. And maybe that sometimes can, can, can suffocate or hide the empathy. I think there's empathy there, but whether it's demonstrated or not is, is a different thing. That's really interesting because every other parameter is really is like above the global average. So a lot of optimism, as you would expect, a lot of intrinsic motivation mm. and a lot of awareness of emotions. Right. So um, it, it's it's so I, I love to watch this and, and observe and see, and see what's happening. But yeah. Um, yeah, so there's lots of things going on, right? So we've got, we do, you know, we can recognize people by their names. We can understand, you know, people's identity. So another thing I always found really interesting and still do um, is when I meet people, I say, so, so where, you know, where, did, where are you from? I used to say, where are you from? Now I don't say that. I say, where, where did you grow up? Um, and, and people say, well, I'm from yeah. Calcutta. Um, and now I know with the name that they're from Calcutta. And I'll say, oh, okay, so where were you born? And they'll say, well, I was born in Delhi. Um, so, well, how can you be from Calcutta? And it's kind of, <laughs> well, you know, my parents are from Calcutta and, and my grandparents are from Calcutta. And that kind of identity is, is very strong. I, I always find that fascinating, yeah. right? 
And that identity correlates to a culture and there will still be this intrinsic link between that second generation, third generation even, to that, that first generation culture that exists in a, in, a, in a part of the country that they've never even perhaps visited. And, you know, you get the, you know, whenever I meet anyone from Calcutta, it's, it's the intellectual um, <laughs> Or the creative, or the poet. Or the creative, or the film, yeah, and the writers <laughs> and so on. So there's, there's that sense as well that, that permeates uh, too, right? Um, yeah. I'm a bit careful then in, in like branding because everyone's different. But these are the reputations that certain countries, certain cities have. I mean, my next trip to India is going to be uh, down that uh, east east coast of India. We're going to start off in Assam and Darjeeling and, and work our way down. And Kolkata is one of the cities I want to visit because of its uh, creative uh, heritage that uh, it, it very often talks about. So I'm hoping to see a lot of this. I had a friend who was from Kolkata and she was espousing its its, its qualities and history of poetry and creative writing and, and, and all of these kind of things. So, But it's no different to the UK. You know, we have cities in the UK that have, you know, reputations for being, I don't know, from a mining industry or this or that, the other, you know. So I guess it, in, a, in a larger scale, uh, India is no different to that. And I didn't ask you. I'm like, calm on my head. I'm thinking, I don't know. I can't place it. What, what's, what's your descent? So I'm, I'm curious so I if I could ask. I originate, I guess. I mean, I was born and bred in the UK, but uh, my heritage comes from the Punjab. Um, so not too far from where you are right now. I've been to Gurgaon. Uh, I've been to Delhi several times over. But uh, yeah, in the in, in the Punjab, we're about 200 miles, uh, 200 kilometers from Amritsar. We're in between the cities of Jalandhar and Ludhiana. So we're a small city called Falor. Okay, okay. Fantastic. But I have to say, when I go to India now, because I've Traditionally, I used to always go and visit the Punjab. And like you say, I see India as being this incredibly diverse uh, country with a richness of color, a richness of food, languages and everything else that I made a commitment a long time ago that uh, I will tour India. So I've been on the backs of buses. Uh, I've, uh, I now choose, as I'm getting older, I choose to go in comfort. So I hop on planes. The internal flight network is incredible in India. Really is impressive. Um, so, I mean, I we now hop, skip and jump on planes. Uh, the last time we went to India, we, I think we went to Delhi first, then to the Punjab, then back to Delhi, then down to Agra because my wife wanted to see the Taj Mahal, back to Delhi. And then we did a hop, skip and jump over to Jaipur, which is one of my favourite cities, by the way. Uh, Jaipur down to Mumbai and then Mumbai down to Kerala. Uh, so we, it was such a diverse experience. Each one of these places is so different to the other, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And Jaipur is just three hours down the highway, so you can take a car next time. <laughs> yes, it is. And of, of course, they've built a, a toll road now, haven't they, which makes it even quicker to, to, to get to... Well, no, that toll road was to Agra, yeah, which is a really good experience. But I once went to Jaipur on a bus, so that was an experience and a half. That took 24 hours, just under 24 hours. And I was basically slept in a parcel shelf in this bus. But what a, 
It was an incredible experience. So I also did that. So before they they had a strong road, uh, we did a customer event, and it was to um, oh, it was to Agra. Yeah, I was seven months pregnant, and uh, oh my, my boss goodness. my boss was saying, "Why are you coming? Why were you coming? I wouldn't let my wife come." And I said, "This is <laughs> these are our customers. I'm pregnant. I'm not seriously ill." <laughs> but I felt pretty ill after like seven hours driving down. I can imagine, yeah. And the roads back in that time weren't the best, were they? And now we've got incredible uh, road infrastructure in India now, isn't it? It really is impressive. So super fast now. Uh, but yeah, look, the Taj Mahal, when you see it, yeah. Mind-blowing, yeah, isn't it? It is breathtaking. Uh, the many times that I've been, the moment you walk around and then you see it through the archway of the other building in front of you, it's just like, wow. So so going, bringing it back to India, the lunch, right? We all share lunch. Mm-hmm. Lunch is a great yeah. time to get to know people. And, and lunch is a time people take, which makes sense. I think sometimes in the UK, I think, oh, lunch is for wimps. But lunch is a time to connect <laughs> and understand people and, and get to know what's going on, right? Yeah. Very important. Yeah, absolutely. But to your absolutely. point, yeah. Sorry, just one of my favorite coaching stories is in India and, uh, and someone who was a great leader, super respected, but very, very task oriented. And um, I said to once to him, like, well, what you, how are you when you're on the floor? Like, so he must have had about 150 people in his team. How are you when you're on the floor? Because I can see all these people out of the glass <laughs> door. And he said, what do you mean? How am I on the floor? Said, well, you know, when you go, you know, you go, maybe you're going to speak to someone. What, what do you do? He said, well, I just walk from A to B. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favourite. Uh, and I just had to laugh. I just thought, I'm like, <laughs> you're missing so much <laughs> opportunity. opportunity <missed. laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah. I get it. I get it. But do you know what? Uh, you and I both work in organisations and I think it, it really is a sad shame. I know we're laughing about it, but it is a sad shame when you see leaders who don't understand the opportunity that sits in front of them that is there t- almost every single day that they are there. And and the opportunity is in their people. You know, um, emotional intelligence is all about humanity. It's about people. It's about getting the very best out of your people. And in order for us to do that, we need to be able to connect with those people. We need to be able to build those relationships, you know, um, and those relationships equally are in, as important as building the relationship you have with yourself as it is to building the relationship you have with other people and externalizing that. Um, and I think it's uh, incredibly important, the work that you're doing. I wish you so well with it. And uh, I've, I've been fascinating hearing your story and the, well, the, let's the meet cultural up. differences. <laughs> let's meet up in yeah, Calcutta. I mean, next, time in, <laughs> next time I'm in India, I will definitely come to see you. Definitely okay. come to see you. And, uh, and, and I wish you well with everything that you're doing, Andrea. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.